All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I'm speaking with Apollo, America's most decorated winter Olympian of all time, eight Olympic medals. He's an author, also a speaker on a life mission to help people become their best in health, work, and life. It is a true pleasure to have you here. I feel like you're popping up on all the shows I'm listening to. So what an honor to have you on the show. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely jump into all everything you're working on, your story and all of that. But the show always starts with the same prompt for everyone. And it's really just understand, you know, who, who are you? You know, what, what defines Apollo? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I, I, I asked that in many different iterations, I think starting in my kind of early thirties, that self-inquisitive, like, who am I? Um, what do I want out of life? What does life want out of me? You know, I, I think on the surface level, you know, I'm someone who is uh, deeply passionate about sport, about fitness, about health, uh, about happiness, about fulfillment. Um, I'm someone who has been able to form and fortify, um, you know, a strong sense of resolve and Mm. this ongoing, I think, um, carrying my struggles further mentality, uh, that, that stems, you know, greatly from sport. Um, but I'm someone who is, is really, I love being around people and I love helping people and I love guiding people. And, um, I'm just trying to do my absolute best to, you know, reach the metrics and the goals that we've set forth in, in my own personal career, my personal, you know, insights of, of what I deem to be important. And then really on the most granular level, um, I'm someone who I just, I want to help people just unlock what's inside of them. Um, and, and what that means really is on the psychological level, recognize, you know, there is no perfect human while also really diving deeper into the realm of like, how can I be the best version of myself in whatever that iteration is, right? And and understanding that that path is not going to be easy, but um, there's a long answer, but I, I, I'm someone who, you know, multifaceted, um, naturally curious, um, hungry and happy to be here and grateful and, uh, and, and just trying to figure out ways on the daily basis of how to maximize this one life I have. I love it. That's no, I, I appreciate the detail in that. It's, uh, it's always an interesting question because, you know, it depends on where you are today in your life. I mean, I can ask that same question and, you know, 15 years from now, and I'm sure there will be similarities in the response, but obviously you'll evolve from where you're at. Um, which I'd love to know, cause you mentioned something that, you know, a question like, who am I, or, you know, what do I want or what, what does, what does life have for me? Or what do I have to offer? was something that was started to come up in, in your thirties. Like, do you remember some of the triggers to, I, I guess where I'm going with this, a lot of people don't do this reflection until they hit walls of some sort. Right. right. And I'm wondering. Until they hit pain. Yeah, exactly. And I was chatting with someone the other day, Jerry Colonna, uh, a well-known startup uh, CEO coach. And, and I asked him this question too. And it's cause like, do we have to go through that pain and hit those massive walls to start jumping into this reflection. I'm curious just through your story, uh, you know, just your thoughts around that. 
Well, I definitely don't know if it's, I don't think you have to hit those walls or hit that or touch that pain in order for you to come back. But there definitely is a correlation, I think, between humans uh, and their obsession with rock bottom. And then finally after, okay, I've got no other options. Now I have to make a big change, whether it's in your health, whether it's in how you treat people, whether it's in how you live your life, whether it's finances, there's something there. And I did this in sport too, right? I had this addictive kind of self-sabotaging component of my my personality that really got, you know, obsessed with how close to the fire can I get um, mm-hmm. without just essentially completely incinerating myself. Uh, and then realizing later on that I didn't need to do that. That that was that was a dangerous um, you know, exercise in which I was doing. I don't have to wait until the last lap to try and make a pass. I could do it earlier. I can strategically place myself, uh, you know, throughout the race of a nine lap race in ways that every lap I can be positioning myself, um, to better suit the outcome that I desire. So I think with, you know, with all of us and me specifically, the reason why I didn't reach, you know, that kind of inquisitive nature until my thirties is partially because, you know, throughout my kind of mid-teens and my late twenties, so uh, you know, like fifteen years or so, I didn't think that I had any other purpose on this planet other than what I was doing. I didn't, I didn't think that I needed to have any other identity or skill set, or even, to be honest with you, care about anything else except for the fact that I loved what I was doing so much. And I thought that that was my sole purpose. And then as I got closer to my final Olympic games and my final retirement, um, I I just decided like, Hey, there has to be something else here. You know, you've only been looking at yourself as, you know, let's just call it like uh, this gem or this diamond. And you're only looking at it from the top. You're only seeing one facet, which happens to be the face of that diamond, which is the predominantly the most of what that's there. But there's so many other facets that I never explored, polished, understood. And, you know, my world was very small in terms of my view and scape. It was also very simple, but sure. it was also... And I, you know, and I love Jerry Colonna. I think he's he's one of the the great. I call him, you know, the the CEO whisperers or gurus of our so time. So true, right? <laughs> um, you know, I, I just I think that many of us, unfortunately, it's not until we are against that barrier and we do feel that pain where we've got no other option. Um, and I always, and I think now is more we see that more than ever, right? You know, kind of during this pandemic, during you know, all different types of unknown uncertainties and challenges, we are being forced to pivot when we in very real terms could have pivoted two years ago, right? Many organizations who had always said like, we will never go fully remote because it doesn't fit our ethos and model. And now they have to be. And now they're saying, well, we're not going to go back. We're going to stay in this kind of remote environment. Yeah. And you know, I, I just, I, I think that the only way that we can do that is by truly testing ourselves, by going into the unknown, by wading into waters that we're not entirely sure what is there, but knowing and recognizing our inner strengths and understanding that leaning on those strengths will allow us to cross that chasm or cross that river. Um, and it won't be easy. So, yeah. yeah. It's uh, what strikes me when you're when you're speaking. It's just you know if you if there's nothing behind you know a shakeup of some sort, like we're on autopilot essentially, right? Like especially you know your example with the, with companies remote work, and I think Jerry used some words like you know we need we need that shock of some sort. Uh, it doesn't have to be like this this 
crazy, like, but something has to pause that autopilot, right? And, and mm-hmm. get us to, to shift out of that zone. So, you know, I totally, totally resonate with that. How has it been for you? Like, why don't you first take us back? I mean, I'm just curious because just doing the research for this, there's this unbelievable uh, theme of just, you were almost like this physical and mental, like perfect warrior in, in the sense of your training, right? And like, and you you went into those races uh, with like, a thousand percent confidence, right? Like what is that when you're, when you're ripping around the track in, in that synchronicity, like, what does that feel like? Well, I, I don't think that I always had a hundred percent confidence going into every race. Um, the, to answer your first question, you know, the, the synchronicity of being in that flow state and everything is what I call, you're just getting all green lights. And yeah. you're on this street and it just seems so easy. You're in full automatic. Everything seems to be happening at will. Time is slowing down. You you feel like Neo from the Matrix dodging bullets where your speed and you know, my race was 40 seconds long. You know, <laughs> your speed is it doesn't feel like you're going 30, 40 miles an hour. It feels like you're going slow. And the effort that you're putting in doesn't seem like it's that much. It's just this perfect sweet spot between not trying hard enough and just trying hard enough. And, you know, the, the, the way you sit on your skates, the, the, the air that you feel across your cheeks as you, as you're kind of, you know, sprinting and, 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 and racing, um, the track patterns that you're able to see, uh, the recognition of, uh, the athlete in front of you, what he or she is doing, uh, where they're accelerating, where they are decelerating, your ability to forecast the following lap ahead of time to see, well, I will pass here because this is where they're actually decelerating. This is where I will, after I pass them, then I'll protect my inside track. There's all these things that you are just processing in real time, but but, but incredibly fast. Yeah. And so it feels it feels amazing. Right? I, I, yeah. I, I physically haven't felt anything like that since I retired. Um, that was going to be my next question. How does it, it translate? Or I guess it must so, in some way, but not in full, obviously. It, it it doesn't translate, but the only thing that does is the mental components of what mm. we were doing in sport. Yeah. And that's why I, I think partially and subconsciously, I was so obsessed with trying to maximize my performance, utilizing the mental tools and strategies and tactics, because I never actually, and this is my own insecurities I, in the sport, I never actually felt like I was genetically designed better than anyone else who was on the ice rink. And yeah. while that may be true or not, it doesn't really matter, but I had convinced myself that there were far other more superior athletes who had been genetically designed better, who were faster, who had more talent than I did. So the only way for me to essentially beat them was to find an area that they were not looking and everyone was training hard and everyone was eating well and everyone had great technique and good training programs. And I just felt like no one here is talking about this or even doing these kind of pre-exercise mental training routines. 
the post, the recovery, the meditation, the mindfulness, all of those things, you know, we started doing those in 1997 and doing them at a degree where the visualization process was so rich in detail and layer. I could, I could begin sweating while I was meditating on a flight. I could literally begin beads of sweat would break up around my head because I was able to increase my heart rate in that time frame. And we got so good at doing these, you know, visualizations that at the time, Mark, you know, the, the, the top countries in the world skated twice a day, probably three or four times a week, they would skate twice a day. And okay. when I had first started the national team, we only trained one time a day on ice and we would have an off ice uh, training session. And I always thought that was kind of strange. I was like, why is the rest of the world doing so much more <laughs> on ice training? And we're not like, that seems like we're a little bit behind. And then it became very realistic to understand, well, because we can't afford the ice time as the team. This was very, you know, this is 20 plus years ago. Yeah. You know, this is a long time ago. So what, what we started to do is when I was working with my sports psychologist, he's like, well, how do you take the two hours of time that you do have realizing, recognizing this is the hand that you are dealt and maximizing that two hours. So it actually equates to four. So you're no longer mm -hmm. messing around and you're smiling and having fun, but your, your intentionality is so in tune with that two hour training session. The quality of work is skyrocketed. And that's yeah. where I really felt like, um, we could make the greatest gains. Well, okay. So we have to, I mean, the listeners don't know this, but we were, we were jamming before we hit record. And I mean, I, there's a huge parallel here with what we're talking about, at least I think uh, around writing, right? Just, you were mentioning just the fact of that, you know, you don't consider yourself this, this natural writer and, and nor do I. Um, and so you need to be really dialed in and use all the tricks and hacks that you can to, essentially what, what I'm hearing exactly what you used to do on the ice, they get the most out of the hours you're going to write. So some of that, so how has that trans translated, or I guess just even something as wild as being able to, you know, make yourself sweat in a meditation from the visualization, like what are some of the things that we can pull in today's world, no matter what we're doing based on your experience, right? You can use writing as an, as an example. So, you know, writing as example is is somewhat unique because of the elements of creativity that is required. And so I think the the hardcore discipline and scheduling is not always directly aligned with me performing my best. And so I noticed that when I was writing, for example, I performed my best when I was being around a lot of people. And that would somehow uh, initiate this creative process of storytelling or ideas that I then would put pen, pen to, uh, to paper, so to speak. Mm. Um, the areas that I think it does transfer are obviously just on the day-to-day -day ability to manage and mitigate stress in our daily life, your ability to pivot hard, to not be afraid of the hard work, and also to recognize utilizing some of those visualization skills to really manifest the direction and the things that I, that I believe that I deserve and that I want and that I, I must have. Those are really, really important. So just practically speaking, like what are some of the things you're doing for, because um, I know you're pretty big in intention setting and you just mentioned, you know, manifesting and visualization. So what's, let's, let's jump into some of the routines. Like what, um, what kind of rituals do you have in place? So my, my rituals um, are pretty standard uh, from what I was doing as an athlete. Um, I think just doing them not as frequently 
So the first thing that I think I, I really started to utilize was this ability to just focus on my breath and breathe. And that can be through a micro meditation that can be through my consistency to training and working out. Um, that sometimes feels like a total meditation session and just being really aligned in terms of my routine of this is what I do in the morning. I kind of get my day started doing X, Y, Z. Um, I do my absolute best to not grab my phone and spend time looking on my phone versus doing the routine that I know best suits what I have. Uh, and, and there's days when I'll sit down and I'll meditate for 15 minutes. There's days when I'll do it for 20. There's days when I'll do it for one minute. There's days when I'll just sit in my chair at my desk, close my eyes and just breathe for like 30 seconds. And that seems to be a great catalyst and primer for the rest of the day. And I, yeah. and, you know, for me specifically, Mark, I think because I've been able to do breathing um, for a large part of my life now, it's the days that I don't do it that I really notice the difference. So they say, well, like, what does it make you feel like, right? Like, mm -hmm. what does it make you feel like to do that now? And I'm like, well, you know, I can tell you what it feels like not to do it. And it feels like the world is moving too fast. The day is flying by, um, a lot more stress, a lot more reactivity versus responding, in the ways that best suit the outcome that I want. And so there's just a sense of calm, I think, um, yeah. that I get from it. And, and that calm allows me to make better decisions and to contemplate, even if it's for like 10 seconds longer, a decision or a way or a direction in which I need to go. Well, it's for me, it uh, what this brings up as you're speaking is I notice it as well. Like if I'm, not, if I stop the journaling or whatever the, or the meditation breath work's been something I've been trying quite a bit the last year. Um, I find that those things put me not in the same level as what you're describing when you're in a race, but essentially in, in that, that slowed down space, right. Where you can like zoom out, you know, 40,000 feet and have that micro pause in between the reaction and and your emotion taking over and all, and all of that right and, and you're right you can you can feel when you lose that when you're not doing it so for people listening that that might not be doing that the probably the closest example that I can think of that a lot of people uh, experience is anyone that just exercises regularly right and if you stop that you start feeling like shit I mean that's just <laughs> mm -hmm. that's how you feel and it's it's kind of the same you know the same principle with with any of these other practices. Hey, just wanted to thank you for being here. And if you're enjoying the show, drop us some lovely stars wherever you're listening. They really make a huge difference. Also, after requests from you, I've put together some mental fitness training packages in collaboration with Thrive Medicine. I'll work directly with you to help implement and personalize practices and routines to ensure your mind is thriving. Shoot me a message directly or check out the link in the show notes. Thank you as always and back to the show. I think that, you know, and, and I don't know your experience in this with, with writing and, and other activities, but I feel like there's various different types of forms of breathing that really can help and interact us, right? So, the, you know, the type of breathing yeah. that I do before I go to the weight room is probably drastically different versus the breathing that I do before opening up my email. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair. <laughs> um, it's probably the complete opposite, you know, actually. That would so, be a fun experiment, though. <laughs> yeah, and... You know, I had this this sports psychologist that I was working with, you know, in kind of the the late '90s and early 2000s, and 
this guy named Doug Jowdy, and he was he was just a big proponent of me going into the weight room and actually not listening to music. And I thought that was really interesting because again, I I loved yeah. music when I was training. It was like a fuel to me. It was like it was like getting the caffeine hit without having caffeine. And yeah, I remember him explaining to me to the reasons why I should really focus and harness the power of listening to my body and my mind as I go into the weight room. And it was really interesting. And so he said, essentially, when you walk into the weight room, you know, doing and going through your warm up, thinking and feeling the musculature of your body, recognizing your entire workout um, training program, and then articulating to yourself what you want to accomplish for every single set and repetition for those things. And again, that assertion of intentionality is so powerful that it just, I felt like when I was going through that process of being in the weight room, you know, gripping the bar uh, on my fingers, feeling the grains and the bite into the calluses on my hands, putting the weight onto my back, taking the deep breath to brace my core, um, and and going down into the squat position and then firing up out of that hole, like talking myself through that allowed me to somehow clear all the noise that existed and just solely focus on that one particular task. And what I didn't know then what he was teaching me was the unique ability to concentrate on one thing at one time. And as we all know, um, that deep level and sense of work happens when you can do that. Well, and that's so, I, I can imagine at that time too, that's probably the time where like multitasking was the, you know, the coolest thing and seen as the superpower, right? So you're totally against the grain with this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, did you notice when you were doing that in, in the gym, did you notice, you know, in other areas of your, of your life where you're becoming more present? You know, I, I was I was quite young, so this is like you know in my late sure. teens, like seventeen, eighteen, nineteen years old. Well, I was like sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old. Uh, it, yes, I did. I, I yeah. it was like a light switch. So you know, I, I noticed that, and and again, you know, Mark, like my life. When you say like, did you notice in other areas of your life you're present? I mean, I didn't really have a life outside of speed skating and I didn't sure, really sure. want to have one. So it wasn't until after I retired that I really started to notice. And it was because the first year that I retired, Mark, I didn't do those things. I didn't pay attention to my diet. I didn't pay attention to my sleep. I didn't pay attention to the way I move my body. And most importantly, I didn't pay attention to my mind. Yeah. I just started to go through the process and I and I had and I thought that I only had to do those things for sport. And people who did sport were the only people people who needed to utilize those skill sets. And then I felt and, re- and and really came to this like real kind of epiphany. I was like, oh my God, without that, I can't function properly because <laughs> totally. I had been used to functioning at such a high level in sport and being so in tune with my body and my mind. Uh, and I felt like, okay, it's time to get back to what I call get back to the basics. And that's like, are you moving well? Are you sleeping well? Are you eating well? And are you thinking well? And, you know, those things, when I do those things, it feels like everything else falls into place. All other parts of my life are just seemingly to just come into to the great place I need to be. It's so interesting you mentioned the basics because I feel like this is coming up so often on, on my side. I, I host a, it's a brand new show. I host it with these, these two other docs. Uh, it's called Peak Health Unlocked. And we just released a docu-series on uh, longevity. 
and interviewed, you know, there was a, a sports psychiatrist for the Maple Leafs in there and then the Toronto Raptors. Then there was functional docs and nutritionists and just a, like a whole range of different people. And it didn't matter what their specialty was. The, the, the end question for, for all of them was what, like what's in your recipe for longevity? And, and first of all, they, they, none of them define longevity as living to, you know, 150. It was just, you know, when you get to your outer years or even right now, like it's just the quality in your life. But every, there was five episodes and every single one of them came back down to like, am I getting outside? Am I getting enough sunlight? Am I breathing? Am I hydrated? Like, how am I eating? Right? Just, it, it's the base. It's like we, we, we add so much complexity and there's a lot of great technology obviously out there to help us track and all of that. But if we could slow down enough and just, you know, get back to the basics, essentially as what you did and what you're saying, it's like that, that's the thing that's going to move the needle. Yeah. And, and, that's <laughs> funny that you say that. So look, longevity is a thing that I think is, is it used to be very personal. Um, but I think the data and the science is showing us, uh, all the great things that we can really be doing. Um, you know, I, I usually and typically defer to, you know, my friend who I consider to be the world's leading longevity expert. Um, Dr. Peter Atia, yeah. he is just, he, you know, he was someone who does his absolute best to not have cognitive bias, who looks at, you know, science and data as his real, you know, kind of marker and metric to sway his decision-making process. Um, and not only in the way that he looks at longevity and, and reading your blood, but just in the way that this man lives his life, right? His mm -hmm. decision-making process on a day-to-day -day basis is really, really strong. So I, I've got to profound sense of respect, um, for him and, and, you know, his podcast is amazing for anyone who's really interested in diving deep into the science of longevity and what we do know versus, um, the things that we think are doing well, but make, yeah. but make, make no mistake. The placebo is real. Your mind is so powerful and it can convince itself that many things are working and will continue to work. So with that being said, my kind of you know, catalyst of longevity, um, protocol is the following. And this is what I'm pretty dialed in. It's a typically kind of lower carbohydrate diet. Um, I, I still eat meat, uh, red meat, not as much, um, uh, mostly fish and eggs. Um, I, you know, I try to get a solid night of sleep seven hours to eight hours a night. Um, I use a lot of, um, cold therapy, uh, and I use yeah. a lot of heat therapy. So I'm a big fan of the sauna. I've been saunaing my entire life. Um, that seems to be a huge component that just seems to keep the doctor away for some reason. Um, what's, what's your, uh, what's that look like for you? You know, I don't, I don't have, I just, I just go by feel. So yeah. I know that I'm in there, you know, if I'm using an infrared, if I can't get access to a traditional sauna, let's say I'm in an infrared between, you know, 125 to 170 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. And I'm in there for, you know, 30 to 40 minutes. I'll get out, do a cold shower and then finish up with like another 20 minutes in the sauna, okay. 15 to 20 minutes. And then if I'm in a traditional one, depending on how hot that is, right? I used to go to this, um, this Russian banya in, in New York city when I was the real deal. And that was, it was <laughs> so hot. I was, you know, and I felt like yeah, growing up around wrestlers my whole life yeah. and Benny being in these wrestling saunas, I felt like I was kind of the guy who knew what heat was. But this, there's this one room in there where it essentially have like, 
it's just like this massive, I don't know how they get it so hot, but it's almost like living. It's like being in a cave. Anyway, I'm in there for like five minutes and I, and I can't <laughs> believe like my eyebrows are not completely scaled off. It's yeah. so hot. The, the, so, the eight-year-old man in there, he's been in there for an hour or something. Yeah, who's barely right? sweating. Yeah, and exactly. Like telling me to sit down and have a conversation <laughs> with him. And all I can think about is just ice cubes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty interesting. So to me, the, the sauna is like the, the number one thing, right? Like I, yeah. I feel like whenever I'm having access to a sauna, Mark, I, I sleep better. I feel better. My mood is better. Even my fiance is like, you're just a different person. So I, I try to incorporate that even when I travel, which is really hard, especially right now during COVID. Um, yeah. yeah, there's no saunas that are even open. Totally. No, it's, it's, that's one of the big things I miss. Cause the same thing I, I used to do uh, some, now I'm doing more cold therapy in the shower as best as I can do it. But I do really miss, uh, the sauna. We'll have to figure out some alternatives. Cause I, I feel like they're not opening anytime soon at this rate. No, they're probably not. So I think the best thing we do is just wrap you know put on the old sweatpants and sweatshirt and jump on the bike or go for a run or something yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so let's i mean let's i i keep peppering you on some of the you know the practices from the past and what's translated uh, into today but I, I mean why don't we talk about some of the new stuff that you're working on whatever you'd like to share because i i see some pretty cool things coming down the pipe um you know, just going full circle back to how you describe, uh, you know, who you are uh, today, a big component of that was you know, helping other people unlock essentially their mind and, and you know, perform and, and be at their best from a life perspective. So I'd love to know a little bit more on what you're working on. Yeah. So I'm, I've been writing a book called Hard Pivot uh, for the past couple of years. And it it is essentially a book that outlines all of the transition struggles that I've had as a Olympic athlete into call it a civilian, the conversations of trying to do that and how I've found a faster, more aggressive path to complete that transition and ongoing transition uh, to finding new identities and new purpose in my life beyond going in circles on an ice rink. Um, And also just chronicles, you know, this reinvention that is critical for all of us to grow and thrive as human beings on this planet, especially now with what's going on with with this pandemic. so the book has been a big part of what I've been focusing on. Uh, I've been working on, you know, uh, an experimental podcast, which we've—I was telling you before we started recording—I've got about twenty recorded, which hopefully we'll release that later this year. Um, and then my my real love and passion is just is focusing in on helping people and organizations unlock their their gold medal mindset. That's you know, in, yeah. in finding their inner power, coming to terms with their insecurities and self-doubts and fears and uncertainties, uh, controlling the things that they can control, uh, and then allowing themselves to let go and surrender to those things that they cannot control and letting the course of those actions take place in whatever way they come and being able to pivot and adapt and maneuver accordance to be less reactive and more responsive. So I, you know, spent a lot of time on stage or with organizations helping to facilitate transformational change in a way that harnesses the power of our own psychology. And, you know, with COVID, we haven't been able to do those in-person meetings. So we are doing everything digitally, which has led me down the path of creating a digital program um, kind of based in science, but also rooted deeply in the insights that I've had of how do we become less 
um, self-sabotaging in our paths of reaching these goals and then creating a life that is filled with great challenges, but with an ability to rise to those challenges and overcome them um, in a way that Love is it. present, is here, and and creates more strength from within. Well, it definitely sounds like everything that you just described about yourself over the last little or last few minutes we've been speaking. So it sounds really aligned. What, what have you been learning? I mean, it's different, obviously, from, you know, you following these principles and, you know, getting to, you know, levels that most humans don't, you know, when it comes to sport. And, and now you're, you're transferring this over to the rest of your life and, and teaching others. Like, what have you been learning in this whole journey? Because it's, you know, I'd imagine it's very different. It's it's been very different. So you know, when I retired in 2010, um, you know, I spent a lot of time pursuing a ton of different types of businesses, and it was more of me saying I'm going to say yes to everything that comes my way because yeah. I need the experience. I need to win and lose and fail and fall on my face and get back up and go through that process. I need complete immersion, and I spent so much time uh, in Asia actually. And I've had an incredible, you know, 10 year journey and experience of, of living that life. And what I noticed was that whenever I would come back home, you know, home me being, you know, right here in the United States, I would come back in a way and I would spend time doing these presentations or workshops with people. And I would leave that event feeling unlike I felt when I was in Asia doing my other businesses. And those things were fun and they were exciting and they were new and dynamic and, and, and they helped me grow. But I actually really, really loved helping people recognize um, their own inner power and helping to unlock that that untapped reservoir of potential that is within every human. And it kind of dawned on me. I was like, I need to start spending more time doing the things that I deem to be the most important in my life. I want to be involved with projects, which is this project of how do I help you become the best version of yourself to continually be more present, more grateful, but also strive for the best version of yourself. And that's when this idea came of, look, I think we need to stick to these five golden principles. Um, that really helped me throughout, you know, my career as an athlete and also help people recognize, Hey, like you kind of only have one life to live. Like you better, yeah. you better maximize this thing and be grateful for all of the ups and downs and challenges and mistakes that you've made because they will shape and guide you towards a more fruitful experience as you live this life. So cool. So cool. How have, you know, you mentioned a little bit about the pivot, obviously, that essentially most of the world's going through right now on just everything's been rocked with, with business and how we work. How did, how did you practically process that? You know, because I imagine you're probably on stage pretty frequently, right? Uh, Pre-COVID. Um, and then, you know, everything went down, everything closed, closed up, essentially. Like mentally, what did you, what did you draw on to just be able to pivot into a new structure and, and not, you know, not kind of lose, lose your mental focus uh, along the way. So the one thing, well, there's many things that I learned from short track speed skating, but, but a few of them that are really, really powerful and important were the fact that I couldn't control all of the outcomes that I could race the same race four different times and get four different winners. So when you compete in a sport like that for a living for over 10 to 15 years, you become really comfortable with the uncertainty. 
and you mm. focus a lot more on the process versus the prize. So the prize was, hey, I know I need to reinvent. I know I need to find another path. I know that I need to find and identify new passions in my life that will generate the same type of fire as it did when I was competing in the Olympic realm. But knowing that I can't just focus on that and say, I got to find something new, I got to find something new, and instead saying, what is the process? What are the actual mechanical steps that I should be concentrating on that will give me the greatest possible chance of achieving that particular goal? And then you break it down in a way that seems actually very achievable. Because instead of focusing on this thing that may take you years, you're concentrating on the things that will yield you results today. What is the thing that I can seek that gives me progress over perfection Right now, before before lunch, before noon on, on, on a Tuesday afternoon, what are the things that I can do right now that give me the micro wins that advance me closer to what the end goal was, which was you know this, this reinvention? And that began this deep-hearted process of concentrating on the things that I could control, immersing myself in environments that challenged me so that I wasn't always in the red zone. And when I, the red zone is you got so much information, you understand nothing, it's overwhelming and you're almost paralyzed. And then also I'm not putting myself into a situation where I'm going back to what was very natural to me, where I knew it was the back of my hand, that's the green zone where it doesn't require you to stretch or grow or sweat a bit. You want to be in that yellow zone. That is the sweet spot. And by by going into the yellow zone, you are embracing the fact that you will have times where you don't know the answers. There will be times when you feel uncomfortable. There will be times when you may even be embarrassed, but you're, but you're opening your heart to them and embracing them and saying, this is a part of that process. And when you do so, again, with the intentionality, what you're doing is subconsciously retraining your brain to essentially accept the fact that this is going to be hard. This is not going to be easy and you expect it. And when you expect something, you then brace for it in a way that I think is, is much easier than, you know, walking along a kind of, you know, nature filled path and all of a sudden getting hit by a brick and just wondering, well, where the hell did that come from? And then staying down. Instead, you're saying, I know that there's going to be uncertainties and perhaps chaos, but I know that I also can rise to those challenges. I can become stronger. And, and to me, that's, that's when it gets pretty exciting. Man, that is some powerful stuff. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that. I have to ask you a couple more uh, questions just on your prompts because you, you dropped some really, really great questions there. And um, I believe you you do journal, right, personally? I do, yeah. Um, in, in some of your practices. So I, I'm just curious, are, have there been any consistent uh, journaling prompts that, you know, your are go-tos for you or that you, you default to when you've got to make big decisions or big life pivots and things like that, that you can leave with us. So I, yeah, I, I keep my journaling really simple and I found that the more simple my journey, the more consistent that I am with it, because, you know, I've gone through many different iterations of like writing these long, like novels in the morning mm -hmm. where I'm writing for like 65 minutes and I'm like, man, that was like 12 pages of work I just wrote down and feeling good about that and then slowly seeing that dissipate to not even doing a journal. So the things that I kind of recognize are like, you know, what are the three things that I'm most grateful for? What are the things that I you know need to accomplish today? Some of these are usually written the day before, but reviewing those. And what are some reminders? What are things that I need to remember um, you know, I've got a sticky note on my desk and it says, don't think you are, but know you are. Um, hmm. 
and you know, kind of this reminder that like, don't just go through the motions, but really feel it, know it. You, I mean, everyone, everyone can say, I know when something is happening because I can feel it. It's there. It's emotionally driven. It's, it's deeper than just my kind of my brain telling me, I know I should do this. Right. Cause sometimes that yeah. can fail pretty easy, especially if there's no one holding you accountable. So, um, for me, it's to, to, to kind of my journaling process is just simple, like things I'm grateful for, things that I, I, I need to do today that will help me get those micro wins. Um, and then also, you know, my wind down process is really important too. Uh, yeah, and talk about that. And sometimes these are just really just mental notes of like, you know, what went well today? Like what didn't go well today? Why did I why did I act or react in this way? And why did I make this mistake or continue to make this mistake? And did I still was I complicit in my action today of the way that I feel right now? Meaning, you know, I, I think that we oftentimes are I, I just I, and, and this comes from personal experience, Mark. I, I, I was such a self-sabotager in sport. I had to find a way to stop doing that. And for me to recognize that, that that addiction to hitting rock bottom and bouncing off almost like a springboard or a, or a trampoline is powerful, but it's also really exhausting and it's not necessary. You can have a much smoother way of interacting with decision-making processes or putting yourself in these situations. So, you know, realizing and first identifying, I'm doing this because I've sort somehow normalized this self-sabotaging process to make it easier for myself to cope with. Well, you know, had I only tried a little bit harder before, I wouldn't be in this situation. And then coming back when there's no expectation on you to win, um, that feels good because, you know, you got no more pressure. And instead yeah. of saying, hey, like, the, this is the goal. I, I, I feel this way because I care about the outcome. And that's natural. I care about the consequence. And that helps you flow into that state that helps you perform your best. So you know, again, I, I think that when we talk about these types of elements, they're all really kind of molded psychologically, you know, very similar. And yeah, I, I, I time and time again need constant reminders. And these happen to be in the form of old school yellow sticky notes that I have all yes. on my desk. Um <laughs> But I like them, you know, and, yeah. and there's times when I look at them and I feel nothing. And there's times when I look at them and I, and I remember why I wrote them. And I think yeah. that, that that purpose and that why is really, really important because it seems to supersede all the other decision-making potential um, negative associations. I'm so happy you brought up the reminders because I think it's something that isn't discussed um, that often. And, and it's so important because... You know, the other thing I think that, that most of us don't realize is that if, if we just let ourselves go on autopilot, and especially, you know, with all the mainstream media that's out there and like the society in general, it, like the food that's being marketed to us, like everything is not really setting us up to, to thrive from a health and mental health and physical health perspective, right? So you 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 almost you can't go down this autopilot. So you need these reminders on all things, right? W when they come to your goals or whatever you're working on and whatnot. So it's so, so important. Mm -hmm. and, and I also think that we, you know, we as human beings, look, there's nothing wrong with being present and being grateful and being happy for just for this, this, the situation that you're in. Um, yeah. 
you know, you, you never want to be this hamster in the wheel in the cage, right? And saying like, I, I got to improve. I got to get better. I can always be better. Yes, those are great attributes and traits to have. But at some point, you have to stop the clock at least mentally for a second. You have yeah. to just allow allow time to just be. And if you don't have that, then man, you are, you're living a life that is just always onto the next one, onto the next one. It's never good enough. It's never good enough. Uh, it, but also realizing that this, you know, this, this experience that we're all having is a process. It, it, it's, it's an experience that we are, it's meant to be lived and not every day is, you know, a green light. Not every day is a red light and there's days mm-hmm. when it's yellow and embracing all of those things. And then, you know, counteracting our previous 30 or whatever year, 30 plus years of conditioning to react in a certain way and move towards the way that we we want to respond, the way that we want to interact with those decisions. Last question for you, sir. What makes you smile each day? Oh, that's, that's pretty easy. Um, there's many things. I think, you know, my, my fiance, our dog, my dad, um, you know, the fact that I get to wake up and, and have another opportunity at, at doing what I love to do. Um, and, and I get inspired through people, you know, the stories that I, that I hear from thousands and countless others all over the planet. So the things that make me happy and smile on a daily basis are sometimes the most simple of things. It can be, wow, I'm, I can't wait for dinner. I can't yeah. wait for lunch. I can't wait to get on the phone with this person. I can't wait to go here. Um, and then also it's just, you know, I'm trying to get better at, I just want to wake up and just be happy about being here and being alive and being grateful for all of the things that I have, you know, living in this, in this planet on this floating Island. <laughs> well, I mean, I have a huge smile on my face, uh, just listening to respond to that question. There's, the whole through line or the whole theme of, I think the the conversation we just had it was so heavily baked in the, in the present moment and all of these different things that you've been doing over the years and continue to, to work on. Um, you can feel it. You can feel your, the happiness coming through. You can feel the, the gratitude. You can feel the, the presence uh, that you're giving to this conversation as well. And it's, it's a real uh, beautiful thing to witness. So I, you know, I want to thank you for the conversation, but I most importantly want to thank you on behalf of everyone listening and all the lives you continue to touch uh, and inspire and help people, you know, slow down and unlock it. You know, that's, that's so impactful for the, for the world that we live in today and, and the world that we will continue to live in. So thank you for that dedication. No, I appreciate that. And thanks for the opportunity, Mark. 